in that he is the light of the world, the light of the world. Now, last night I was able to go to the UT Texas game and, and they've started doing some really cool lighting things where uh, they essentially, they take control of your phone through the Go Big Orange app or whatever, and they can do cool light shows. Light is a really neat thing. Um, but how many of you have ever been in a place that is just where the darkness, whether physically or spiritually, is just palpable? Yeah, like you can feel the presence or the weight of, of true spiritual darkness. And, and I, I've, I've sensed that at different points in my life, but there's also been people that, that I know that have been overseas that, that, that like in places that I haven't, that have sensed it on a much greater scale, just the, the, the emotional and spiritual oppression and darkness. But there's also physical darkness that we can kind of relate that to. Pure, true physical darkness is, is pretty scary. There was a time that um, after my junior year of college, when we went at midnight to a cave in North Georgia, and I've told you guys about this before, but we went to a cave in North Georgia and decided to go caving. And we kind of descended about a mile in, and once we kind of got into it, and I mean, it's ridiculous. I, would, I will never do it again. But when we did it, I'm glad I did it once. And when we got down into it, everybody like committed and said, okay, one of the things that we're gonna do is everybody's gonna turn out the headlamps, and we're just gonna sit here for a few moments. And we did. And it was just unreal. I mean, you literally could not feel or sense or see your hand directly in front of your face. I've never experienced, and your eyes, like there wasn't an adjustment for your eyes. You just couldn't see anything. That physical darkness like that, it, it has a presence to it. It's palpable. And in the same way, spiritually is, is true. And our story this morning, where Jesus announces that he is the light of the world, he is announcing this into a, a temple, essentially, into religious leaders that have a great sense of spiritual darkness among them. That their, heart were, their hearts were hardened, their eyes were dull, their light was dim. And so look with me at chapter 8 of John, beginning in verse 12. And when you get there, say word. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, and it again is an important aspect to this. We'll see in a moment. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. 
They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What I want you to to get this morning, beloved, is, is this. That in the midst of spiritual darkness and each of us are born into spiritual darkness. We don't, we don't have the light naturally within us. This is something the light has to come into our lives. And so Jesus is saying this morning that the true and eternal light of the world, which is himself, the true meaning it is, he is the true light and he is eternal light of the world, calls us to believe in and follow him into the abundant life. So he is a true light and he is an eternal light. He's not one that's going to go out. He's not one that just has a propane tank attached to it and after a little bit it's, it's out like a gas grill. But instead he calls us because he is the true and eternal light to follow and believe in him so that he in turn will lead us into the life that is available in him as that light. And so our text this morning is a little bit different. It's much like John chapter 10, it's highly contextual. As as you can realize that there's this battle going on between Jesus and the Pharisees, that battle does not begin in chapter 8. It begins previously. Chapter 7 is a really big deal in the life of Israel and the Jews, okay? So it talks about in verse 20 that Jesus is teaching or speaking in this treasury. So he's in the temple currently in this teaching and in the treasury. So here's a little bit about a little bit of context of of what Jesus is doing here. So it actually our text this morning picks up where John chapter 7 verse 52 ends. So most of your Bibles will probably have verse uh, chapter um, essentially 7 verse 53 through chapter 8 verse 11 in parentheses, right? And that's because that was not originally in the, the earliest manuscripts. So while it's a teaching that is connected with Jesus' character, it's kind of a, it's not kind of, it is a very big interruption to what John's actually teaching here, which is connected to John chapter 7, ending with John chapter 7, verse 52. So chapter 7 replays Israel's wilderness journey. So if you'll remember in the Old Testament with me, they're coming out of, uh, out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and then they go through a journey in the wilderness, right? It's an extended journey. And so there's this festival that is created over the course of time called the Festival of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It can be known as either one. And this is a feast that occurred for eight nights in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. Okay? And so everyone would gather and they would live in, in these booths similar to what essentially they would live in, they would have lived in in the wilderness journey and experience. So it was a time, this, thanks, this offering or feast was a time of thanksgiving 
for the people, but it was also a time of remembrance. So they remembered how God was faithful to bring their ancestors through the wilderness by guiding them in two ways. Do you remember the two ways that he guided them? During the day, he guided them by what? A cloud. At night, he guided them by what? Fire, right? A pillar of fire. So at the end of this week, during, kind of during this festival, people would live in these booths and each morning, this is John chapter seven, a, the priests, some priests would carry water from the pool of Siloam up and then pour this water for, for eight days, uh, for seven days, excuse me, and then would pour it on the other side of, a bra- of the brazen altar in the temple court. So this is where Jesus is currently. And this revealed how God provided water for the people in going into the promised land. And on the last day of that festival, Jesus used it. If you go back and look at John 7, Jesus uses this opportunity to draw attention to himself about what the people were truly looking for. He's saying, if you are thirsty, come and and I will give you essentially very similar to what he, he says to the woman at the well. I will give you rivers of living water. He announces this to everyone during a huge festival. And so now as as we turn the page, we know this is connected because John chapter uh, 8 verse 12 says again. So this is this is connected and so at the very end of that week as a part of the celebration, where we pick off pick up is where this in this temple court in in the temple it's called the treasury and there would be 13 essentially bronze receptacles in this part of the temple where people would put in different offerings into the different receptacles and it was made in such a way that you could hear how much was being put in right that's when Jesus talks about the person that gives much and then there is this this widow that that gives her might this is in that area as well so in that area one of the things that historian talks historians talk about is that at the end of this festival every night as sunset would approach they would light these four large essentially candelabra type things or just pillars of of fire and they would light them to the point and it was so bright and intense that it said that it would kind of light up part of Jerusalem. So this is a really, really big deal. So at the end of this feast, they had just been celebrating this and the lights would have been lit up at night and they would have partied and danced and had a great festival. This is something that uh, um, the Mishnah describes of that time. Men of piety and good works used to dance before them with burning torches in their hands singing songs and praises and countless Levites played on harps, lyres, cymbals and trumpets and instruments of music. So they would dance until dawn. So it was this kind of exotic festival. And Jesus at the very end of this, when, when the ashes you know, might not have even been fully cold yet in this temple court, while people are gathered around, calls attention again to himself and says, you all have noticed that there was this great light 
And much like the rivers of living water that your soul longs for, these lights are now extinguished. But what you are looking for is found in me, because I am the light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying here. So, and he says, whoever follows me will, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he is the true and eternal light of the world that calls us to believe in him because he's God and he's the Messiah and calls us to follow him, to walk in that light. So the first truth that we see in verse 12, and we're going to move fairly quickly from now on, is that the light of the world shows or reveals our great need for him. That our, that our great need, this is what he first reveals, is that our great need is him. That's what he says. Again, Jesus spoke to them. He grabs everybody's attention. Jesus had the perfect moment. And the first thing he says is, I am, which is a God saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus is obviously claiming something incredibly important and weighty here. By saying this, he is saying that I'm the one that you're searching for and looking for. All of these festivals and things that, that you're remembering God's past and faithfulness, that's great. But, but you've become dull and dim. I'm the one that you should be longing for, that, that you truly are longing for. He's claiming that he is the Messiah that they have waited for, that he is the God, the God man that was promised. Isaiah 49.6 says this. This is something that they would have remembered. Isaiah says, he says, it is, too, it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. Speaking of the chosen servant of the Messiah, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Even in the Old Testament, it's prophesied that this Messiah would be a light. Psalm 27, verse 1, it will also be on your screen. Is, this is where Jesus is essentially connecting that he's also Yahweh, the, the God of the Old Testament. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light. Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fill? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? It's something so small, but he connects that, that the Lord, Yahweh, is my light. And here Jesus is claiming in the Old Testament, or in, excuse me, in the New Testament, that he is this light. He's the very thing that they were truly looking for in life. And he's the very thing, beloved, that we are truly longing for every day in our life. What we find ourselves doing oftentimes, though, is looking at um, the moon and believing that it's the source of light. So the interesting thing, obviously, about the moon is that it is not a source of light at all, is it? It simply reflects the light of what? The sun. But if you looked at the moon and you just thought deductively, well, that, that looks like it's lit up. In each of our lives, one of the things that we all find ourselves doing is looking at things in our lives 
that reflect the goodness of this light and then holding on to those things, thinking it will be the light that, that will continue to lead us. We do this with God's gift of family, right? Or God's gift of marriage. It reflects God's beauty and shines. It's something that we desire. It's good. But when we behold that as the source of life and the thing that is truly meaningful in our life, what ends up happening? It's too much pressure. It crumbles because it wasn't meant. It's not the source of light. The same with money in our life. The same with finding the right job in our life. All the small things that reflect this goodness, friendship, all the things that reflect this goodness of God, that reflect the light very beautifully, we then think, oh, this is the thing that I'm really and truly looking for in my life. If I could only make this friend, if I only fit in here, if I only had this thing, then my life would be truly satisfied. And Jesus is saying, you're looking at the things that are reflecting my light, but I am the light of the world. It's not the light itself, but Jesus is. We're guilty of looking at the little reflectors of light and hoping that it will be the thing that lights up our darkness. The moments where we feel lonely, we look to things to light up that darkness because we're afraid of it. But Jesus is saying, I'm the one you truly need. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that your soul truly longs for. These ceremonies, this feast, the things that we're looking for are dead. But Jesus says, I am the true light. The next thing he says is that not only is he the thing that we're looking for, but he is the thing that will light the light, our life, will light our path. At the end of, of, in the next part of verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me. So there's this idea of trust, of commitment to Jesus this connection with Jesus. In fact, the word follows there is a present participle, meaning that this is something that is done not once, but continually. You must keep on following Jesus to remain in his light. Whoever follows me, he says, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of the world lights our path. So many times in our life that we feel like we're walking in a fog or we're walking in darkness. We don't know which way to turn, what way is morally correct. Um, I remember a time that I, I was, and I may have told this to you before. I, I honestly can't remember. I've been here long enough now that I'm like the old grandpa that's telling you all the shame stories, <laughs> right? Now, but here's, here's the thing about that. Uh, that that's okay, because it's still meaningful to me. But here, here's what we did, right? Uh, I was a kid, and we had a, a friend's birthday party, and we had like a, a sleepover. We were like pretty young, and uh, everybody was sleeping in his room that night, and one of the things that happened is they turned the lights out, which normal people do when they sleep, and so we were, we were sleeping, and I'm like, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, I, I got to use the bathroom. And I knew, generally speaking, where the bathroom was. They showed us. 
Um, but what I came to find out in the middle of the night was the door next to it was a flight down the stairs. And so when, when you walk thinking you're stepping on a real floor going to the bathroom and you start tumbling down the stairs, then you don't have to relieve yourself anymore. I promise that. <laughs> but here's the thing. It, it, was, it was rough. But the thing is, so many times in our life, we, we go through life just trying to, trying to feel our way when Jesus says, if you will follow me, I will be the light that shows you where the true path is. And, and, and so he says, if you will just follow me. He says, this is a light that doesn't ever go away. I'm the eternal light. I'm the true light. And each of us, even as believers, still need the light. Right? It's the very reason that Psalm 119 describes his word as a light, right? Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a what? It's a lamp to my feet. It's a light and a light to my path. We can't be surprised as believers when we begin to feel disconnected from the Lord if, if we're kind of disconnected from his word and from his community. Because those are the, the chosen instruments by which God has, has chosen to, to illuminate paths as we walk with Jesus. This is what First um, John says uh, in First John 1, 7, but if, if I walk in the light, what does it say? If we, if we, 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 if we walk in the light as he is in the light, I, no, we have fellowship with whom? With one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The word lights our path. The Jesus, the true light lights our path. And he's committed a couple of guardrails, kind of like airport runways, that allow us to continue as we follow him, to continue on the path that God designed for us. One of them is, is the word and by which the Holy Spirit uses and allows and works through. The other one, other guardrail, the other side of the runway is, is community. That if we with one another continue to walk together with Jesus who is the light, then we will not walk in darkness and we can be assured that we are of him, the one who cleanses us from our sin. So maybe you're in here and, and, and you're a believer and just the, it just feels dark right now. Maybe it's time for to, to reevaluate and see kind of where things are in, in your life. Have you disconnected from community? Have you disconnected from the word? Um, as we look at maybe even unbelievers in here, do you feel like you're just kind of searching and scratching and trying to find what true meaning of life is? And, you, you know, whatever that, that thing is that you think often will be the thing that will fulfill you, when it fails, and it inevitably will because of one reason or another, just remember, just remember that Jesus is standing in, in your heart. He's standing here saying, remember, I'm the light of the world. I created these things, and, and they're good, but they're never meant to do what, what I designed myself to be in your heart and life.
So Jesus lights our path. The, other th the next thing we see is that the light of the world actually gives us life. It's a gift that we can have. Look at the end of verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Remember, following day by day, but will have the light of life. For some reason, my heart was just drawn towards that. We will have it. It will be in possession of a, like, this is something that just like as is, is a gift was given to us, we, we can take possession of this. We take ownership of it. The light of the world gives us life. He says that not only will you experience this, but at the very center and core of who you are, you will possess it. And that's because the author of life and the one that defeated death and came back to life resides in us. That's why there's life always that we can have, because he is the source of life. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created, meaning Jesus, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Then we see in elsewhere in the New Testament that we as believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit that the light of the world's spirit indwells us, possesses us. And so therefore we have this light that produces new life, good fruit, different fruit than our old man. But it's something that we must take possession of, right? Must take responsibility for as the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are essentially, you can think of yourself as a greenhouse for the Holy Spirit to grow new fruit, right? Your life, your body is now a greenhouse for your life to produce a new type of fruit, a new plant. Because beloved, as we continue to walk with him, as long as we're in the right environment, we will grow. And so we must check ourselves when we're not Growing because the Bible tells us that there's, there's something wrong in the, the, you know, the engine department. The check engine light is on. But the problem is, sometimes we don't realize that we've kind of drifted away from the light. How many of you have heard of seasonal, uh, I want to say this right, it's essentially seasonal depression. How many of you have heard of that? Right, like it, it affects a lot of Americans. Right? It, and just a lot of people in general. As you kind of get into late fall, into the winter, and then all through the winter months, it's really hard, especially in Chattanooga, because the sun just doesn't shine. It's like forgotten how to do that. And it just rains and rains and rains. I made this joke in college. It's just like all the time. And one of the statistics that I, that I found is that over 10 million Americans, and I think that's probably low, suffer from, from this clinical depression um, that that's a seasonal experience and why is that the case it's because we don't have light if we're not walking with the light and the things that help the light like that that grow us in the light then then we can't be surprised when we stop growing but we're going to get past verse 12 I promise as of right now. Look with me at verse 13. So the Pharisees, now we get back into this intense battle. 
So the Pharisees said to him, you are not bearing witness about, you are, excuse me, bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So basically, if you're, you're just saying this, there's, there's no way that you can, uh, you can connect the dots here. It's just not true. But Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Meaning just because it's only one witness doesn't mean it's not true. They were hiding behind a technicality. They were hiding behind essentially their religious system and belief. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, and it's not the cotton-eyed Joe. Where did you come from? Where'd you go? That's all I can think of when I read that. I'm not going to lie. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, and I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. The, the light of the world also reveals something about us. If we follow it and believe him, then we grow and we experience true life. But the light of the world also reveals our, our unbelief. He can reveal and he does reveal our hard hearts. He does reveal our unbelief. And that's the interesting thing about light, isn't it? It can both be beautiful like the Dollywood Christmas lights and it can be terrifying like lightning. If I were to have everything shut off and just those, the these two spotlights on me, here's the interesting thing about what light does. It reveals to you all, all of me. But from my perspective, what does it do? It blinds, it conceals. So Jesus being the light of the world is saying here, depending on how you react with me, whether you choose to follow me or whether you choose to reject me is the way that you will end up seeing me. And he's comparing this to the Pharisees who were hiding behind this, this old, essentially, law that it has to be two or more witnesses in order for something to be testified to be fact or true. And so they're hiding behind this to not deal with the fact that they just don't want to believe in Jesus because that means they're not in charge, right? And there's any number of things in our life that when Jesus reveals something, it's kind of like when the light comes into your house and you actually begin to realize, oh, geez, I probably need to vacuum that, right? You can, you can see that because when the, when the light sun comes in, it reveals things that just the normal light doesn't. And that's what Jesus is showing here. It re he reveals in a very unique way their unbelief and hard-heartedness. And the same thing is true with us. When Jesus shows us, reveals us something in our life that, that we don't like or we don't want to give up. Maybe we don't want to give up our freedom. Maybe we, we don't want to give up pornography. Maybe we don't want to give up the relationship with the unbeliever. Maybe we don't want to give up that job that we know is harmful for us. Maybe we don't want to give up that toxic relationship because it's, it's really the comfort thing. Maybe we don't want to give up those things. And so we hide behind any number of reasons that we create, right? That's what he's saying. That's what the, they are saying here. The, the, and, and in doing so, Jesus invites us every single day and says, Beloved, I am the light of the world. I'm not revealing this to be harsh to you. 
I'm revealing this to you so that if you follow me, you may actually experience the true life that I intend for you. So whatever Jesus is calling you to rid yourself of, and you can do this in a gracious way, Whatever Jesus is calling you, convicting you of, maybe it's anger in your heart. Maybe it's, it, it, it's, it's lust in your mind. Maybe it's whatever God is calling you to rid yourself of. He's calling us out of that unbelief and trusting that he is better. When Jesus is loved and followed and trusted, he becomes light. But when Jesus is rejected... He becomes darkness. He conceals. This is why John 3, 19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. They didn't, we don't want our sin to be exposed. Rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. This is the very same phenomenon that Israel experienced in the wilderness. If you look back at Exodus 14, 19 through 20, the cloud produced the same effect. Then the angel of God, it says, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. They were experiencing the same reality, but seeing different things. God protected Israel because they were walking in the light, and he concealed everything of goodness and value to the Egyptians because they were walking in unbelief. It's what Jesus does. It's why Kent Hughes says, Hugh Hefner was raised in a minister's home. Joseph Stalin studied for the priesthood. Mao Zedong was raised under missionary teaching. The very light of Christ can become darkness if we choose to respond by rejecting it. So light reveals in our heart, and beloved, what Jesus is calling and compelling you to today is to receive that, turn from it, and trust and follow him instead. And in that he promises life. And he promises ultimately victory. Look at verse 20 as we close. Jesus says this, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is a very simple thing. It, it feels kind of just, you know, a passive comment in there. But it reveals something about who Jesus is, even in this moment. That Jesus is the one under control. Jesus is the one in, in control here. Nothing is going to happen without him knowing it. Nothing is going to happen without his hand, it passing through his hand, through his goodness. The light of the world, beloved, leads us when we follow him to victory. He leads us to life and he leads us to victory. This is what we see at the very beginning. John makes this claim the first of 22 times in John where he says that Jesus is this light. And he says this, the light shines in the darkness. And guess what? The light has not, the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome it. If you're trusting and following in Jesus, then you can bet that wherever you are in your life right now, 
if you're trusting and following him, the darkness will not overcome you. The darkness will not overcome you. So keep going, keep following, keep trusting. Rid yourself of the sin. Put in proper perspective the little reflectors things that we like to hold on to. Because we share in this very life that Jesus gives to us and calls us to display it ourselves. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So he calls us as his followers to reflect that light wherever we go. So maybe God's calling you to, to be a light in a place that's really, really hard and really dark. If you follow along with the light of the world, then you're going to be okay. Remain in his word, beloved. Remain in community and follow Jesus. It's that simple. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the challenge of your word, that it doesn't leave our toes unstomped on sometimes. Unbelief in our hearts is, is difficult to deal with, Lord, because sometimes we think as Christians that we're moving, we're really moving, we're moving forward, and, and we are. And we really are, and you celebrate that, God, and you give grace to continue to move us forward. And so I pray, Lord, that we'll trust you in the, and follow you even in the difficult things that we sometimes don't want to give up. Um, I pray, God, for people in here that maybe are not believers, that, that are looking to other things to satisfy them. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that they would, they would believe that you are the light of the world. You are what their soul is truly longing for and looking for in this life. And they, they can't earn your favor, Lord, but... But may they trust and believe that you, as God, came down and, and died on their behalf to pay for their sin, to pay for our unbelief, to bring us back together. And not only that, but in being raised again on the third day, that you have defeated all of our enemies. By entering into relationship with you, we are promised victory because you are the person that leads us into that victory. And so I pray, God, the defeated person in here, the person that's walking in a manner of darkness that's difficult right now, that feels overwhelming, I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would experience the life and, and victory that you have for them, that you will sustain them and grow them even in the greenhouse of suffering and difficulty. Help us, Lord, as we follow you. Help us not to turn away. I pray, God, that we respond not uh, not by rejecting you, but by faith, by following. Lord, help us to love you. In Jesus' name I pray.